Looking to build wealth beyond the stock market? Gain access to alternative investment opportunities once reserved for the ultra-wealthy with Yield Street. Build a diversified portfolio with investments such as real estate, art, commercial finance, and other alternatives typically with low stock market correlation and targeting annual yields of up to 15%. Yield Street investment minimums start at $1,000. Head to YieldStreet.com to join over 275,000 members and create your account today. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. There's great news during the pandemic. The new Hypermax oxygen system is here. Doctor approved, clinically tested, at-home oxygen for improved health, fitness, and especially your immunity. Go to HypermaxOxygen.com. See how 300% more oxygen purity works wonders in only 15 short minutes. You're home anyway, so why not build your immunity and much more? HypermaxOxygen.com. That's HypermaxOxygen.com. This is the Cubs-related podcast presented by CubsInsider.com. My name is Corey. I am joined, as always, by Brendan. And we are also joined by our most frequent guest in podcast history. He is also the editor-in-chief of the aforementioned CubsInsider.com. You should know him from there or his regular appearances on 670 The Score. That would be none other than Evan Altman. Evan, a pleasure as always. Yeah, glad to glad to be here on uh, what I think was mercifully an off day for the Cubs yes. that enabled me to get my taxes done the day before they are due and generally just be lazy around my house. That sounds about right. And and luckily enough, none of the three of us are in Chicago. So apologies to all of you dealing with the snow as we record this on Sunday afternoon. Like Evan said, the Cubs did not play today, but. Here we are, uh, as we do have a series with Miami on Monday to get you ready for, and we do have two games with the Angels to recap real quick, so we will do that. Uh, Again, uh, like Evan mentioned, the Cubs and Angels snowed out or weathered out, however you want to describe that on Sunday, so I know all of you were really looking forward to Tyler Chatwood facing the Angels uh, in 40-degree weather at Wrigley Field today, but... You're just gonna you're just gonna have to keep that one on your uh, your bucket list for now because it, it it did not happen. So the Cubs and Angels split two games at Wrigley Field, uh, like we talked about on the last podcast. Mike Trout does not make the trip to Chicago, so apologies to all of you that bought tickets for this series to see uh, the best player in baseball. Unfortunately, he did not 
get to play. Uh, I guess that's probably fortunate for the Cubs, but from a viewing perspective, maybe not so great. Uh, but let's start with Friday, and we'll we'll break these down real quick, and then we'll jump into you know the the, the normal spiel here, the state of the Cubs, and uh, as we head into this series in Miami with the Marlins. So Friday, it was a home run party at Wrigley Field. All of the runs in this game coming on home runs, and luckily the Cubs hit more of them, so they won this game five to one. Anthony Rizzo with his third, and Wilson Contreras with his fourth, fourth in the bottom of the first inning. Albert Pujols, uh, not an unfamiliar sight for Cubs fans. He comes back to Wrigley Field and promptly homers off Cole Hamels. That made it three to one. Uh, but in the fourth and sixth, David Bodie adding his first of the year, and Wilson Contreras adding his fifth and his second of the game, and that would be all that the Cubs would need as Cole Hamels was really, really good in this game. Outstanding. Whatever word you want to use, I think it would be applicable in this case. He goes to 2-0 on the year, eight innings, four hits, one earned run, no walks. I repeat, no walks and six strikeouts. That solo shot to Pujols, the lone uh, blunder in the game, if you will. And even that was a pitch that Pujols kind of hit uh, just above his shoes. Cole Hamels reacted kind of humorously to that, like, how on earth did you just hit that out, man? But that was all she wrote. Brandon Kinsler comes in and shuts down that game with a clean one inning of relief for Hamels in the ninth. Again, the Cubs winning 5-1 to one on Friday. Saturday was a frustrating one, folks. It was, uh, unlike Friday, which was a home run parade, it was a walk parade from the Cubs bullpen, especially Kyle Hendricks starts this game. He takes the loss in this one, falling to 0-3 on the year. Five innings pitch, six hits, two earned runs, one walk, and and two strikeouts. And then the Cubs bullpen would come in and uh, let this thing get a little off the rails. Brad Brock coming in and walking three. Rosario walking one. Collins would come in later and walk run. And then Kyle Ryan coming in later and walking two. We will be talking about the walks, especially from the bullpen in a bit. The run scoring in this one, the Angels getting three runs in the top of the second off of Kyle Hendricks. Javi pulling the Cubs within three to one with an RBI double. Javi again with a double in the fifth to make it three to two. The Angels would add two in the top of the sixth via walks to Albert Pujols and Cole Calhoun. Always good when you let the other team get insurance runs by walking two runs in. That's certainly a favorite of the Cubs-related podcast, and I'm sure all of you guys listening. The Angels would add a sixth run in the top of the eighth on a Peter Borges sack fly. Mark Zagunas put together a really good at-bat in the bottom of the eighth to uh, single to center and drive in two to cut the deficit to just two. Jason Hayward would hit a sacrifice fly on a fielding error by the left fielder Brian Goodwin uh, that allowed a run to come in. Goodwin making a sliding attempt at the ball, not catching it, and the ball landing in fair territory uh, that allowed the Cubs to get within one. But Wilson Contreras would strike out uh, with a runner on third and one out on three straight pitches, a really not good at bat for someone who has been hitting the cover off the ball, so that was disappointing. And then Kyle Schwarber called out on a uh, swing, a check swing to the third base umpire. He is rung up to end this game against Cody Allen. And uh, guys, I would say Kyle was not pleased. Uh, I think that's that's a fair way of explaining that. He made a beeline for the umpire, and I, I 
I think it's fair to say that Javi Baez saved a life on Saturday. Javi did his best uh, to play offensive lineman there to Kyle Schwarber making the beeline for the umpire, and he was able to to keep him at bay. Uh, obviously, Kyle with a, a football passed, so very impressive that Javi was able to kind of stand his ground, uh, you know, lower his shoulders and... and uh, keep Schwarber from, you know, maybe, yeah, yeah, right. Um, I think the Bears might want to take a look at Javi, but that is uh, how that one would end. So uh, a controversial end. The rule on the check swing is pretty loosely defined, you know, just one of baseball's many uh, great oddities, I guess. In my opinion, I, I certainly thought that he swung. The, the bat goes kind of pretty far over the plate. Um, did his wrist break? I don't know. It's semantics at this point. He got rung up. The Cubs lose. So that's really how that goes. So again, the Cubs and Angels splitting two games at Wrigley Field. Sunday snowed out due to the poor weather conditions in Chicago. And that is that. So Evan, I, I will throw to you first, just any, you know, obviously uh, kind of two rather different games. Games. Friday was a lot of fun, uh, an outstanding pitching performance once again from Cole Hamels. The offense is dropping home runs everywhere. Anthony Rizzo with a 472-foot home run in this one. I believe his longest since StatCast started tracking these home runs. And then Saturday, you know, kind of just the opposite. The pitching falls apart. They gift the Angels uh, a bunch of insurance runs that ultimately would be the deciding runs in the game, walk after walk after walk walk from the bullpen and a frustrating end on the offensive perspective to end that one. So coming out of this series with the Angels, uh, you know, and especially after the Cubs winning their first series with the Pirates, any, you know, just general reactions to this weekend in Chicago? Um, you know, the the unfortunate part of it is like all the, the kind of goodwill and the feel that you had, you know, especially coming off uh, Quintana having a really good start. You got Hamels with a really good start. They're blasting home runs, and that was cool. But then it's just that that game on Saturday, man, and, yeah. and it's just all the way. Like, and, and I think even more so than the bullpen because we all kind of, you know, I don't think anybody thought they were as bad as what they were or as good as what they had shown after that. But to see Kyle Hendricks go out there and again, like he made it through the first inning clean, but then it turned into like the second inning of doom, and it's just he cannot – continue I, I know the overall track record i know what that is but these early innings man are just brutal and yeah. it's it sets a bad tone and, and that uh, i'd feel better if they had you know again schwarber comes through and doesn't get rung up if he because he did actually swing so uh him being pissed off about it's cool but uh <laughs> dude like you were past the plate you were past your front leg which is yeah. past the plate you clearly offered anyway it yeah it, it clearly was but it's like if if the bullpen and if if Hendricks like we're putting it on the pen, Hendricks looked like crap in that second inning. And so if that goes differently, if he can just locate his sinker um, much better than what he has really early on for the whole last year and change, it's a different game. Um, so there, there's there's a lot of things, and I, I wish I could feel better about it. But splitting with a really awful Angels lineup is not something to feel good about. Well, I do feel good about one thing, and I think we can talk about it here if you guys want, but Contreras still looking good and having that two-homer game in the first set. I mean, I was talking about it with Corey in the, in the last episode, but if you can actually get Contreras back to that 2016-2017 level, 
And you're assuming that, you know what, this is what Javi is. He's going to give you production similar to last year. You combine that with Rizzo and getting KB right, there's no really other offense that has this type of ceiling, but more so that has this type of consistency from top to bottom. So in one sense, yeah, I'm, I'm of course upset about that bullpen, but I'm still really optimistic in a weird way. Maybe that's just me trying to avoid or deny that there are issues here, and there are, but I still come away, despite splitting this set, with actual optimism. And I think Contreras fueling that optimism and seeing Contreras continue to do this would be huge for this team. Yeah, I think that's fair. And and we've look, we've talked about this bullpen the entire offseason. It was certainly the main probably story of the, you know, first few series of the year. And it's going to continue to be. It's it, it wasn't solved because they had that 18.2 scoreless inning streak or whatever it ended up being. It's something that was not all ever going to be as bad as it was to start the year, but it's it's going to be a, a work in progress, kind of a malleable thing. Pretty much, I would think the entire year, unless they you know make maybe significant additions at the trade deadline or, or something along those lines. But it, we knew it was going to be a point of concern or uh, you know a potential hurdle for this team to get over. So it's going to pop up every now and again. But I do agree with you, Brendan. Like. I think we're we're, we're going to have to keep an eye on the bullpen the whole year, is my point. I think the important thing in these early series are things like you just said, Wilson Contreras, because I think if the rest of the team rounds out around the bullpen, we can probably make it work. I think that they can, you know, shuffle guys around or bring guys in to make it work around the rest of this team. And yeah, it, it that's why I said that that last at bat in the Saturday game was so frustrating for Contreras because he's just been hitting so well. I, I remember, you know, leading up to that at bat thinking, I, there's almost nobody I want coming up in this situation more than Contreras. I, I fully expect if he gets to the plate, he is going to win this game. I said that to uh, you know my brother who I was watching the game with. If they get Contreras up, he's going to win this game uh, for them. And you know it's just a disappointing at bat. He, he just uh, you know I think went up there, you know. He said after the game that he just wasn't seeing the pitches well, the shadows were in there, and he did say, you know, I'm not trying to make an excuse, I, I just didn't see the ball well, and, you know, that's kind of the result, but but a, a disappointing result nonetheless, because obviously situational hitting uh, has been a problem for this team, certainly was last year. And, you know, with first base open, you just need a better at bat than that. You can't go chasing uh, on, on three straight pitches. And he, he let a, a pitch that I, <laughs> when, it, when it left Cody Allen's hand, I was like, Wilson should kill this. Uh, he let that one go and then chased a few times. So not a, not a very good at bat, something that, you know, you really need them to improve on. But his early returns are excellent. He's got five home runs already. He's driven in nine runs already, a 486 Woba, a 201 WRC plus uh, through 13 games. I think overall, there's not really much more you could be asking uh, for Contreras. Uh, if, we're, if we're sticking on a, a positives note you know, from this series, anything in that regard stand out to you, Evan? And we'll, we'll get to the, the bullpen, trust me, uh, <laughs> in a minute here. But, but anything else you know, from a, you know, we're, we're trending in the right direction perspective? Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, and I mentioned earlier, just seeing, seeing Hamels out there mm-hmm. doing what he did after the Cubs acquired him, right? Yeah. Continuing to just go out there and shove and, and you know, strikes. 
Yeah, and I mean that's first and foremost. That's the thing. You just go out there, and that that game lasted two hours and twenty nine minutes. Love it. Done quick. Get Friday afternoon. Yeah. Get moving, and that's the kind of stuff like when you don't have to go to the pen, when you are throwing strikes, and not not necessarily having any. You know, he threw a couple strikeouts, but not even that. But just getting guys out with contact, moving quickly. I mean that, and that's what again my my hope for Hendricks, and here's where I'll take some hope away from it is that he can get back to that because. You know, the strikeouts are cool, like whiffs are great, but man, I love it when you can just saw some guys off, mm-hmm. make them beat it in the ground, get double plays, get out of innings, and demoralize them that way, and you're working quick one, two, three pitch at-bats, stuff like that that you can move quick through the innings. Um, and so seeing the Cubs be able to do that, and then, you know, again, um, seeing them hit some home runs, that was awesome. I think that's one of those things that they, I don't want to see them rely on, but when they can do that, that also demoralizes I me. Mean, you're blasting balls with that, even with the reconfigured bleachers and the scoreboards. If you're blasting balls out on the street now, like that just <laughs> makes the pitcher feel awful. So that was kind of fun to see. Yeah, absolutely, and I, and I think you're you're dead on with Hamels specifically because I think there was you know some discussion in the off season should they pick up the option? What kind of rotation were the Cubs building? Obviously, you know with a couple guys in Lester and Hamels that are thirty five plus, you know what what really could we expect? And I and I don't know that anybody was expecting Hamels to be as good as he was for the Cubs in the second half year when he was you know pretty much uh, for the most part one of the best pitchers in the league for that second half, but. Even just that he's able to go out and give you starts like this, even if it's not an every time occurrence, he he clearly looks good, and I th- I think you can reasonably expect him to be rather productive for this team. And yeah, absolutely. We the the, the starts from Quintana to end that Pirate series and Hamels to begin this Angel series were just so needed. They they go long into the game, seven and eight innings respectively, throw strikes don't walk guys, you know, between them, Q only walked one guy, but he added five more strikeouts in Hamels. So, you know, 17 strikeouts between the two of them, just one walk in 15 innings of work with just the run, one run. That is exactly what this staff needed, especially when you're, you know, waiting for John Lester to come back and he had kind of been the best performer in the early going here. So really encouraging stuff there. And, I, I'm going to keep pushing the bullpen back as long as I can because I'm kind of dreading even discussing this. But I, I do, you know, and, and Brendan in particular, uh, I, I know that you've talked about this a lot and you've mentioned this on on the show before. But just because they came back to back, I, I want to focus on the changeup for just a moment here. And we we talked uh, again, like I said, Brendan bringing it up a lot in spring training that Jose Quintana was working on the changeup, trying to add that to his repertoire and. We only had two games with the Angels, so uh, we don't really have strict rules here on the Cubs-related podcast, but I'm going to hope our listeners are going to afford me a little a little leeway to dip just a little bit back into that Pirates series, because uh, we only had two games with the Angels here. So I don't think, Brendan, I don't think there's any rules that we have to stick to just the series that uh, they just played, so I'm hoping that's allowed. But uh, Jose Quintana throwing 13 change-ups in that game, getting four swinging strikes, uh, and Obviously, Cole Hamels is, you know, we've, he's the master of the changeup. We've, we've certainly seen that throughout his career and especially in his time with the Cubs last year. Uh, he threw it 24 times in that start, got four swinging strikes. And I think for Quintana in particular, 
really good to see that he's feeling comfortable with this pitch. You know, when when guys try to add new pitches, sometimes they they try and it's just something you you have to toss aside once you get into game action because you just don't have the feel for it. It's not getting the results you want. And we see sometimes guys go quickly back into, you know what, I'm just going to go back to what I know, what I've relied on, and we're going to, you know, phase that change up out. So, obviously really good that he's getting these good results, but I think in the long run, this is a really good sign that Jose Quintana has A, been able to work this pitch in with success, get some whiffs off of it, and he's throwing it at a frequency where I think you can say like he feels pretty comfortable with this pitch. Yeah, absolutely. And it was his first time he's gotten four swinging strikes on a changeup since 2017. So if that's a good sign, that's, I mean, that's what you want to look at. You want to see guys whiffing and not, you know, making contact. So going forward, I think it's baby steps. Um, You know, it's not the highest frequency we've seen from Q. Even dating back to last year, there were times where he threw change-ups with that frequency. The difference, of course, is that it just wasn't as efficient. He wasn't getting those whiffs, as I just said. So whatever the reason is for those whiffs, it's most likely coming from like a sequencing thing, right? And we know he's been working with Hadevi on on working in that change-up more at strategic times. So I think it's baby steps. I'm still curious to see him doing that more and working in that changeup more often. But that's what you want to see. I think from, from Q, his issue in the last year has been an inability to miss bats. And as you guys know who are watching this, it's frustrating to always have to you know, have those short starts, those five and six inning starts because guys are fouling balls off or right. getting pushed out early because... They're making you know doubles in the gaps and, and and just hitting the ball nonstop, so that's that's a good sign to see. And we need Q ultimately to just continue to adapt and get more whiffs, because right now and not to you know this is a perfect segue, but the the bullpen cannot get out of these fifth and sixth innings right now. And unfortunately, Joe Maddock cannot rely on utilizing Steve Cizek in those fifth and sixth innings like he's been able to do so in, in at least in the years past. So that's what we need from the from the rotation. And I think Q and Hamels, and as far as Hendricks goes, I'm not concerned about Hendricks just because, look, this has happened to him at times where he gets a little bit out of sync with his mechanics and the way to measure that is by his velocity, and it happens. But ultimately, look, Kyle still has his change-up, and there's going to come a point in the year where it just clicks for him. So this is what we get from Lester, from Hamels, from Q, and from Hendricks, and throw in kind of a wild card with Darvish. I'm cool with that. So ultimately, the offense, the pitching, I'm very comfortable with where they are. It's, It's just a bullpen that keeps me up at night. Yeah, no doubt. So I, I think we, we can't really put this off any longer. It's it's time to talk about the bullpen. And again, on Saturday, we see, you know, an opportunity. The, the, the Cubs had made it close. They cut a, a three to, they, they fall behind three to nothing in the second inning to the Angels. They trim that lead to three to two in the, in the bottom of the fifth. They add one run to make it three to two. And the Cubs bullpen, after Joe pulls Kyle Hendricks at 87 pitches, uh, you know, gifts the Angels two runs. And again, this was an Angels team that I believe on Saturday started six players with a sub-700 OPS. Mike Trout was not there. 
And one of the players with the uh, higher than 700 OPS is Tommy LaStella. So, you know, look, you can read into that how you will, but I wouldn't be treating him as, you know, a, a great hitter, right? So it, it, I, I want to lay that kind of groundwork. Uh, again, the, the kind of worst offenders, if you will, on Saturday were Brad Brock, who has just a disaster of an outing, uh, giving up two earned runs, walking three guys, walking in runs, and then Randy Rosario, who's brought in after, a, a move that I hated, but I, I really don't think that getting into Madden's bullpen decisions is the most important thing here. We've, 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 I've defended him a lot. I didn't, I hated the move bringing in Rosario on Saturday, but as we've discussed before, this bullpen is and has been kind of a mess. So I think spending too much time nitpicking how Joe's doing it, it's not really the, the main issue here. The main issue here is the guys coming in and not doing their job and a not super well-constructed bullpen. So the, the question I want to pose to you, Evan, and I think it, it will be good to get kind of a different perspective than Brendan and I, and I'm going to lead into it with this. Uh, it's a really great tweet because it's a very informative stat, but it's a really disgusting tweet when you you know read it out and think about it uh, from Jordan Bastian at ML Bastian on Twitter. And he, he puts it like this, the Cubs haven't had a bullpen walk percentage below 10% since 2015. In 2016, it was 10.1%. That was 25th in the league, uh, 25th best, you know, so near the bottom. Uh, 2017, it was 11.2%. That was 30th. 2018, 11%. That was 29th. And 2019, 15.8%. I mean, guys, (laughs) like I'm going to throw up reading that. Uh, Through 14 games, that's 30th. Again, uh, that is bad. Uh, So... Evan, what I, it's sort of a general question and you can, you know, touch on this specific bullpen and and your thoughts on on these guys and stuff like that for sure. But I also want to ask you from a broader sense, what is the deal with the Chicago Cubs organization and the walks? Because when we look at that tweet from Jordan, that is three different pitching coaches coaches spanning the 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 period of, of this walk issue. We have had a ton of personnel turnover, right? Like the guys in this bullpen are not necessarily the guys who were there last year, certainly not the guys that were there in 2016. And this continues to be pretty much the main issue, I think, that plagues this Cubs pitching staff, specifically in the bullpen. So in the broader sense, Evan, is this a coaching thing? Is this a personnel thing? Is this a front office thing? And maybe you don't have an exact answer for me. If you do, I would really like the Cubs to get to talking to you and see if we can't fix this. Uh, But I think it's fair to ask, like, what is the deal with this team and walks? Why can they not lower these walk rates and figure this problem out of throwing strikes, pounding the zone, and not trying to either nibble to people or just not being able to throw strikes? And I look at, like, that Rosario entrance on Saturday in particular as something that feels like we have seen that so many times from guys in this bullpen over the last few years where all that is being asked of them is just throw strikes. If they hit you, they hit you. But do not walk in runs, especially, you know, we're walking pitchers with regularity. These bad hitters in this Angels lineup 
and it just feels like something we have seen so often where they bring somebody in and they cannot do the bare minimum of throwing strikes. So Evan, that was kind of a, a, a pretty lengthy interlude to this this topic. But Our homes today are like little cities full of different internetting boroughs, like the entertainment district in the living room or the virtual fitness center in the garage. And Xfinity Internet keeps it all running smoothly with reliable speed to power all your devices at once. You get coverage around town from the financial district home office to the spa. Xfinity Internet keeps your little city humming with reliable speed and coverage. Now that's simple, easy, awesome. Find great offers and value today from Xfinity. Go online or call 1-800-XFINITY to learn more. Restrictions apply. It just doesn't feel like summer without an ice-cold Coca-Cola in your hand. Stop by your local convenience store today and grab a 20-ounce bottle of Coca-Cola or Coca-Cola Zero Sugar. Or pick up even more delicious refreshment with a 20-ounce bottle of Diet Coke, Sprite, or Fanta. So no matter how you soak in that summer sun, at home or on the go, grab an ice-cold Coca-Cola today and enjoy. Again, in a broader sense, what is the deal with this team and the free pass? Well, I think... I mean, it's it, what's weird is that it's been so consistent, right? Like you, you showed, uh, you just shared some of those stats, and it's like you would kind of think. And people talk all the time, right? Bullpens are fickle; you can't really count on. But if there's anything the Cubs have consistently done out of the bullpen, it's walk people. Right. And you're like, like yeah. at some point, you have to think the odds have to shift, right? And if they don't, it's because there's something systemic going on, or or at least. That's what I'm kind of led to believe. And I, and I think there's a few things at play here, right? The one person that they've really gone out and gotten who was considered to be a strike thrower, even though Theo Epstein and Jed Hoyer have repeatedly spoken, whether it be the offseason, whether it be the you know middle of the season, whether it be spring, when they're talking about addressing the bullpen, they have repeatedly talked about finding strike throwers. That has been a constant rhetoric throughout the last several years and yet the only one who can we we can really point to that they got is jesse chavez um in in that regard and and at least notably right like i'm not i'm just saying like one guy who they said this is a dude and who we saw then show up to the cubs and pump strikes right yeah And, and that was it so the the issue then is that the only guys they've got look up and down that bullpen the trend across baseball is to higher and higher velocity numbers, and yet the Cubs have a bullpen that with Morrow out and with Carl Edwards Jr., whose velocity kind of sucked anyway when he was there relative to his own, <laughs> what it should be, in AAA, they don't have anybody. Uh, Strope would be like the lone exception, and even he isn't elite, elite. Velocity. He's not pumping at 99 and 100, but he's got the wicked slider, and he, and he, can, he can run it up there. They do not have a bullpen filled with guys who miss bats with velo they just don't and and they traditionally have not justin wilson was supposed to be that guy he walked everybody who came up right and and so there's this issue if you don't have the the 96 to 100 mile an hour fastball you need to beat them with stuff but they don't all have this elite stuff and so now you're like okay well now i gotta nibble around the edges because i i don't have the stuff and so it's this mix, and I think it goes back to this thing that we saw from them. And I apologize for this long response, but I, I, I swear it's going to make some sense here, or I hope it does, that they talked at Cubs convention from a developmental standpoint with the farm system about how they went through this period where you know, they, they 
They were very conservative with how they developed this team. They went polished college bats, guys who could move up through the system quickly that helped win the World Series. But at the same time, they augmented that by going very safe with pitching picks. They got low ceiling, high floor guys. Did not expect them to be able to. They they wanted to make sure they had guys who they thought could move through the system, matriculate through, and, and maybe be decent starters or bullpen pieces. They did not. They intentionally avoided the high-velocity, big-time stuff arms that they were afraid could blow up. Well, what we're seeing is the fruits of that, which is that they don't have anybody who forced their way through the system from a pitching Mm -hmm. perspective. Dylan Maples is the closest they had, and he did that all in one year after he almost flamed out, and he wasn't one of their picks anyway. So, you know, that was was early on, and, and that took so long. So, They've, they've failed to go out there and find, whether it be guys with high velocity or guys with really good stuff and out and, and just, you know, in the, in the low 90s, but none of them throw strikes. They have not gone out and sought those guys out. Brad Brock is not a strike thrower. He never has been. He's averaged four walks, four BB per nine Ugh. over his career. And so that's not awful in a bullpen guy. But it's not a proven strike thrower. You need guys who are around two. You need guys who will go out. And and I just think, again, without having pitchers who you know can miss bats. You know, Brandon Kinsler's not that guy. Brandon Kinsler's a ground ball contact pitcher. That's who he is. Yeah. But And, and he's actually kind of showing that a little bit more. But they haven't set that off. Like, there's no good mix. They have a bunch of dudes who just go out there and throw, and they're scared of contact because they know it's going to get tagged or they might be afraid it will. Or they're Carl Edwards and they have something mentally that just won't, that's like blocking them from it. So anyway, uh, it's the long, the short answer to my very, very long diatribe there was that as an organization, they have sought safety in their pitchers. That's why they've only gotten closers on one-year deals or rentals. Guys who throw really hard, who they just want to get rid of, and they have not sought to load up that bullpen with scary pitchers who you know can go out there, and maybe they're going to walk a couple guys, but they can at least strike guys out. Right now they have guys who are going to walk people and maybe get somebody to ground ground into a double play, but it's turned into more walk, 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 hit, hit. So anyway, uh, that's it before I piss anybody else off. I feel extremely uh, anxious right now by you uh, saying all that, but that's – that's really the underlying issue, I think, in my opinion. And even Corey and I off the air have argued about this. It's like, yeah, we can nitpick Joe on some of the some of the decisions, like bringing in Randy Rosario. But the underlying issue is that the Cubs have drafted over 150 pitchers since Theo came over here. None of them have been significant contributors. How in the world is that possible? That you cannot even get lucky to have one significant contributor. And I think what's more worrisome to me is the deals and the acquisitions the Cubs make, whether it be during free agency or at the trade deadline or even at the at the waiver deadline, is always veterans and they come over and they do well. The guys who don't do well are the guys who are around 30, 30 or under. And they implode. Justin Wilson, I know he had an okay year last year, but he was not the guy whom the Cubs traded 
you know, Isaac Paredes and Heimer Candelario for. He was not that guy. And for whatever reason, there's this consistent issue where 30-year-olds and under just cannot get it together. And that manifests through significant control problems. So what did the Cubs try to do? Well, they fired Basio after 2017. They brought in Jim Hickey, a more stable guy. That didn't work. One year, gone. Tommy Hadevi has only been a few weeks, but so far we're not seeing a lot of those young guys kind of transition and move forward. I mean, quite the opposite. Carl is in AAA right now. He was supposed to be your seventh or eighth inning guy. He's in AAA. So again, you know, Hadevi has only been a few weeks, so it's not fair to criticize him to that degree. But the underlying issue is, for whatever reason, the Cubs can't develop pitching. They just can't do it. They developed Hendricks, granted, but that's one. Everyone else, whether they draft them or trade for them, if they're young, they cannot get it together. The only guys who have gotten it together are your Jesse Chavez's, are your, even dating back to 2015, Fernando Rodney, Trevor Cahill, these older type guys. So I don't know what the solution is. It's frightening because you have, you do have this win window of several years with a high powered offense. And then currently you have this shorter window with, with this pitching staff aging, but still a pretty good starting rotation. It's just so frustrating that there's no apparent solution in the short term for this bullpen. I think you can dip into AAA and hope that one of those guys get it together, but if you're going to go in and rely on Steve Cizek, rely on Morrow coming back healthy, and rely on Strope, I think it's fair to rely on Strope and Cizek, but other than that, I have a very low confidence level in the rest of these guys, and it's it's hit or miss on a weekly basis, and that gives me a lot of concern. Yeah, well, I, I do think you're, you're both ignoring the Cubs' biggest success story uh, in terms of lowering the walk rate in Tyler Chatwood, uh, who, oh, no, wait, sorry, I read that note uh, backwards. Sorry about that. Uh, no, <laughs> um, yeah, it, it's very frustrating, and I think like you were just alluding to, Brendan, it's this team like it's it's obviously been a, a a rough go to start this season for the Cubs they said at five and nine uh through the first 14 games which is not where anybody would want them but it really feels like if they had a bullpen that was able to throw strikes and stop walking so many guys that would not be their record and we would not be you know having as much panic about this team I'm not really panicking but just the general conversation around them it it feels so much like that is the main cause of this and it just leads to so many big innings so many different pitching changes it it throws the whole thing out of whack so yeah I mean I'm with you guys I, I I don't really have the answer for it, but it it's pretty clearly killing this team right now. I mean, in general, throughout this this season to start 2019, they've been scoring runs at a pace that should have them winning more ball games than this, and they have had some not good, uh, you know, or, or bad starts from some of these guys. But again, on the whole, like this starting staff has done enough to have a better record than five and nine. So. It's just frustrating that this is really hampering this team. And, you know, Madden spoke on it after the game on Saturday, uh, this quote coming from Sadev Sharma of The Athletic. And he said, quote, it's hard when you're giving up too many runners with just the walk. The walk has hurt us before today, and the walk hurt us again today. I'd much rather that the other team would just bludgeon you with hits as opposed to them just receiving walks. And 
really, I'd rather them do neither. But it, the the free pass is just killing this team. And and I think there's no better example than it than that game on Saturday when you're looking at an offense that you're you're thinking if you don't walk these guys, there's no way the Angels are going to score runs. As long as you're able to keep home run La Stella right in the ballpark, which the Brewers were not able to. And I and I do thank the Angels for their efforts earlier in the week. They did sweep the Brewers. So I, I do want to point that out. We're like mostly friends with the Angels, uh, especially because, and I am 100% going to use this in a, as an excuse to do this. Uh, the, the Cubs did sweep that series with the Angels to start the 2016 season, which Evan and Brennan, I I don't know if you both recall, uh, but the Cubs did go on to win the World Series in 2016. So uh, yeah, I think we've we've got a good relationship with the Angels. But no offense to them, the only way they win that game on Saturday is the Cubs pitching staff gifting them base runners and gifting them runs. And it's just so frustrating that that's where we are. So like I said, kind of at the outset, I, this is going to be a work in progress. You know, I think, uh, like Evan mentioned, you know, Brandon Kinsler has has developed into a guy who I think has warranted a little more trust here to go along with someone like Steve Ciszek and Pedro Strope. Obviously, you're not expecting the the same level of production from Kinsler as those other two guys, but he's been effective for this team. He has not. He has been one of the guys who, when Joe has given him the ball. I think really only once uh, did he have kind of a, a bad outing so far this year. And and for the most part, he has rewarded Joe with a decent inning and, and something that doesn't, you know, throw the whole game out of whack. But basically everybody else uh, is, you know, making it pretty tough on Joe to figure out who to trust with these guys. So it's unfortunately just going to be something that they're going to have to go through the year and keep trying these guys and keep figuring them out. And, and eventually... No, of course it's not. Um, there, you know, there is probably a Hall of Fame level closer sitting out there. I'm assuming they're they're not going to be calling him. Uh, I'm definitely not counting on that. Uh, as as you know, we've heard many many times. We don't have any money anymore, guys. So. Uh, that's just what it is. It, it's frustrating. And, and I think that's kind of why when we were going through those box scores, you know, we do want to focus on the other things because I, I genuinely believe that Wilson Contreras being this type of hitter and someone who you can comfortably slot in that, you know, five spot if Javi's in the four or the six spot if he wants, you know, he put Hayward in the five the other day, whatever, right? A middle of the order guy that is, you know, ripping the ball with authority, hitting home runs, like that, I think is more important. You know, Hamill's looking good. Q with a really great start. Like I think going forward for 2019, that is more important. But we're gonna have to keep coming back to this bullpen if they keep kind of derailing these these kind of good flows of momentum that this team has, which is pretty much all we've seen to start the 2019 season. So, speaking of catchers, I do want to update on Victor Caratini uh, and get your thoughts just just kind of on this overall situation, Evan, because we were breaking this down. It was kind of coming across the, the Twitter newswire as we were recording the last episode to finish the Pirates series. Uh, we, we do get the, the update, uh, and I'm reading this at CubsInsider.com, which you should all be visiting. Uh, and he has a fractured hamate, and it's uh, a recovery estimate about four to six weeks. Now, this is his catching hand, so that's not great. Uh, And obviously, your hands 
Uh, I never played baseball, so I do like to clarify this. Your hands do affect your ability to swing a bat. I know that's. I played of, baseball very well, so I can I can confirm that. Quote. There's no evidence of that, but we'll take your. Well, I don't take your word for it, but you video my swing. Anyway, was that the one that looked like a Mark Gonzalez video? <laughs> Break. I mean, it's look, like if this, I had a higher quality camera, then I'm more than happy to show you guys my swing sometimes. It's like if, if Mark Gonzalez was Abe Zapruder on the grassy knoll and taking the film of JFK, it would be even worse. Like it was that kind of grainy, right. like black and white quality that, that it could have been someone swinging a bat, I believe, if it's the same video that I'm thinking. I you think I saw it. Video. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, it was it was like that so it could have just been anybody like i feel like you just went to some high school and took video of it <laughs> in his mind brendan is uh brendan was just an injury away from being a major league baseball player but getting back to caratini we we talked about on the the last podcast that part of the concern and and brendan and i fully admitted that we were not proponents of the Victor Caratini as the backup situation and and he was proving us wrong and very much so in the early going of this season hitting very well looking pretty good behind the plate um a, a very good return on that so far but we were we were talking about how part of the problem with that strategy was the depth that if you know Wilson was sick or something for a week or you know Victor got hurt like he did that it wasn't necessarily just about Victor, that it was about, you know, the overall depth. So now Taylor Davis up with the team and, you know, four to six weeks is the initial recovery. But, you know, then you factor in, okay, well, how soon does he get, you know, kind of that full strength back in his hand? How is his swing affected? How is his power affected? So Evan, what I I guess I just want to ask you is just your your kind of general reaction to this, this news now that we kind of have a more... Uh, um, structured timeline than when it first happened. The, the reports were kind of all over the place. Did he break it? Did he fracture it? Yada, yada. And do you think that this team makes any adjustments at the at the catcher position going forward? Or do you think they're going to ride with Taylor Davis uh, and, you know, the other depth guys like Arcia that they have in the system? Or do you think they, you know, are maybe making some calls to try to add a little more depth there? maybe thinking that you're not quite sure what you can count on Caratini to do if and when he's able to come back. Yeah, I think it's what's interesting, you know, and I, and I wouldn't be surprised if they have been or will be on the phone about Sandy Leone from the Red Sox, who was a name that, you know, a lot of people thought they were going to go after anyway. And I, I think this is there's this sense of like the chickens coming home to roost because <laughs> backup catcher is something we've all probably been, you know, and I, I mean, we like not the three of us, but like the royal we of Cubs fans have been kind of like, man. And then, of course, you know, Vic sort of shut everybody up because he was just crushing. And, and he broke his hand on the first swing of an at-bat, in which he eventually doubled. Right. Um, you know, and then actually, if you look at I think it was 2008 maybe, Dustin Pedroia did the same thing, broke his ham eight, and, and played like the last two months of the season and the playoffs and hit like – 350 or something mm. over the course of that time with it so part, part of it's like oh well, yeah just you know tape it up and go but um it is his catching hand but the the thing of it is like the the hammate's kind of a weird deal it's it, you see it happen it it takes place generally on almost exclusively actually on the the weak hand if you will so the bottom hand on the bat when someone is swinging because that's where and it's it's the little 
triangular bone between your pinky and your ring finger. And so if you think about where your hand holds the knob of the bat, it's either because of the knob putting pressure or because of a hit by pitch because your your top hand, your strong hand, it has the knuckles facing out. So the back of your hand is not going to get hit by a pitch, but it's where it gets hit on the back. So, you know, as far as catching, he's got the palm and everything and the glove itself. I'm not too worried about that. And when you think about it, that was actually the the one he hit it on. That was only his second plate appearance as a right-handed batter. He's typically batted lefty and uh, multiple reasons. You normally face right-handed pitching and in a platoon situation with a catcher who's exclusively right-handed, he's generally going to be set up to face those righties and to bat left-handed. Well, in that case, the left hand that he broke is on the top and it's not a it's not susceptible to breaks or further injury because of, you know, a hit by pitch or the knob of the bat. And so that's all to say that I think he's actually in line for maybe a little bit quicker recovery than what it would be if he had to exclusively bat right-handed. Um, and, and so the Cubs can kind of carry him along in that regard, kind of protect him in that regard. And hopefully he does come back because the, the, but the main thing I'm worried about is not the health of the bone or the hand in general, but the timing that happens with that long a layoff, because until that thing is healed, he's going to have surgery or he, I think he has surgery Monday and then you've got the recovery before you can get started again. But the timing there, because he was hitting everything. I mean, he was driving the ball to the gap, and that's the kind of stuff that he doesn't have a ton of home run pop. But if he's got that kind of ability to just rake to the gaps, that worries me. So very long again, and I apologize. Uh, but I, I think they maybe just roll with Davis and hope that, that Vic comes back. But if they can make a move for a guy cheap and bring in a stud defensive type, you know, game managing type catcher, I think it would behoove them to do so because that's the kind of guy who could pay dividends in the long run. But again, they're out of money, so it's going to have to be somebody <laughs> cheap. Uh, unfortunately, we keep hearing that. But let me go ahead and preview this series against the Miami Marlins. So the Cubs will be traveling to Miami to play them Monday night. The start time is 6 10 p.m. Central. You Darvish is on the mound for the Cubs. He is 0-2 with a 7.5 ERA on the year. He'll be facing Richards for Miami, who is 0-1 with a 2.0 ERA. There will be a lot of names you guys do not recognize in this Marlins series. As we all know, they are basically tanking. So after that Monday game, the Cubs will go back to the same start time at 6.10 p.m. on Tuesday. Jose Quintana will follow up Yu Darvish, Q this year, 1-1 with a 5.14 ERA looking for more changeups that start. He'll be facing Lopez for Miami, who's one and do with a 6.6 ERA. And then on Wednesday, Cole Hamels will take them out for the Cubs, continuing hopefully that start from uh, his last outing. Cole is 2 0 with a 3.79 ERA. He'll be facing Alcantara for Miami, who's one and one with a 4.24 ERA. Of course, Miami is not the best team, so this is one of those series where you just hope they go out and get a sweep. Um, especially with Milwaukee continuing to play well. Looks like they're going to drop that last game against the Dodgers today, but they beat the Dodgers two out of three games in that series. And really, in addition to the pitching, I'm, I'm looking for KB, uh, Evan. And I know we've we've talked a little bit about KB recently, more so in a non-concerning way. We just assume KB will get it together. But Sahadev of The Athletic wrote an interesting piece today where he was asking scouts, hey, what's going on with KB right now? And a lot of these scouts said he's lunging at the balls, he's not staying back, he's not recognizing pitches as well as he's used to, 
And Madden in particular was also asked about KB, and he almost echoed what those scouts said. And so Joe said that he's working or not working with Bryant directly, but encouraging and working with the hitting coach to keep Bryant more upright so he's not, you know, lunging at the balls. But I wanted to just get your opinion on Bryant and this upcoming series and kind of what you're looking for, your concern level, and what have you with with Bryant in general, Evan. Yeah, I mean, I, I th- there's great news during the pandemic. The new Hypermax oxygen system is here. Doctor approved, clinically tested, at home oxygen for improved health, fitness, and especially your immunity. Go to hypermaxoxygen.com. See how 300% more oxygen purity works wonders in only 15 short minutes. You're home anyway, so why not build your immunity and much more? Hypermaxoxygen.com. That's hypermaxoxygen.com. There's just something to, I don't know logical i don't know if it's like the the grind and i know that sounds silly to say like the grind of spring training but when you add in being away from home for that long being nine games on the road and you go back to what john lester said about everybody trying to do it everybody trying you know and i think bryant has taken on the mantle of leadership um being the team's union rep you know really being vocal about things that were going on uh in the industry in general and, and maybe with him and with his teammates in particular in terms of extensions. And I just I, I kind of wonder if as a result of that, he has put some undue pressure on himself to make sure that he backs up with production what he's put into words over the last couple of months. And, and, and if, you, if you see that, we were talking uh, off the air right before we started recording about he, he looks like he's lunging, like he's pressing yeah. – his body language is not good. And uh, again, that's the only thing I can look at because it, it is not. And it, I have seen some people and I freaked out and Brendan and I had that exchange when he had a swinging strike where he kept both hands on the bat. But I did. It, freak it, out, it, yeah. And, and, and I was thinking it myself and you see him look back to the ump though and say, was that high? It was a high pitch. It's one he's been swinging at too much. And it looked partway through as if he had kind of tried to check his swing. And, and, you know, he, uh, unlike Kyle Schwarber, uh, did uh, completely swing, so we knew it was you know he he couldn't go fight anybody for it. But um, it, it looked like he checked, and then the next one he, he hit a single, and he, he actually did follow through with just a one hand. As some other people say, he's following through with two hands. I think that's a, a bias of maybe one or two outcomes. But it is so it it does not look like when he was hurt, but it looks as if something is off with the way he's picking up pitches, whether he's just guessing and doing it wrong whether he's, his timing is off. He just doesn't look right, and I think it's going to take him. We've seen this before, but if he can go out and just pound one, uh, I think that turns things around for him, but it's just it, it's not it's not fun to watch him at the plate right now. They're just It's just not at all. Are you concerned and at I all? I hope that changes. I am. I'm concerned because of psychologically what happens from stuff like that um, and, and, and how – perhaps the physical manifestation of that because physically you know it's not you can't look at it and say like oh mentally he's off and all he's got to do is get right because physically his swings don't look good he he's missing pitches he should be jumping on you know he's 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 being you know the umps as you wrote are, are giving him too wide a zone out but that doesn't when he's missing a 91 mile an hour cutter yeah for sure. that doesn't cut like yeah. that's that's not good um and that is that is concerning just because that's not what Chris Bryant is. That's never who he's been. 
And um, but we were talking again off the air. Anthony Rizzo will go through stretches like this where his swing looks like hot garbage for weeks at a time, and then all of a sudden he snaps out of it. And so the hope is Saturday mandatory game off or scheduled game off. Uh, Sunday snowed out, weathered out, whatever. Those are two games where he's just he's out of it, and and maybe something snaps or or sets into place, and he can beat up on like some bad Marlins pitching or something, and and that'll help. But um, yeah, I mean it's concerning because it's just not something we see from him, and it's not something we expect at this point in the season. Yeah, and I think similarly we have Schwarber who started the year off looking pretty good, especially in that Texas series. And early on, I think in the first six or seven games, he just looked more comfortable at the plate, especially utilizing that more crouch stance, hitting bombs to the center field portion of the field, to left field, going oppo in the gap. And that was encouraging. But the last, what is it, 15 or 20 plate appearances or so, he's striking out half the time. He's just not looking like his normal self. So on the same you know, concern level, which one between KB or Schwarber, or maybe it's both, are you more so concerned with Schwarber, or do you still feel as if, yeah, his adjustments have looked good, but it's just going to take more time to really integrate back into uh, into gameplay? I'm more concerned about Schwarber simply because, you know, even though Bryant has looked bad, this is stuff that we can look at and say, this isn't him like this isn't a hitter we've ever seen and and by all accounts he should be able to snap out of it with Schwarber even though the the most recent you know and I think it's I think he's at 10 strikeouts in the last four games and I think nine of those are swinging and eight of them have come on curves and sliders yeah which he's notoriously bad at in terms of strike he's got an almost 50 percent strikeout rate on on curves and sliders um in terms of when they're thrown and if if He's facing unless he's facing a guy who doesn't have one of those pitches or, you know, throws a cement mixer that he can kind of just jump on. He just looks defeated by that. And it's not like they're good. Right. Like he's that that curve from Allen that he struck out on was in the dirt. I mean, it wasn't a good pitch. It like it started low and ended lower. Like, yeah. it, it, you know, it, so that's what concerns me is the pitchers get to book on him. And, and if he's not aggressive early and he gets into a two strike count, if I'm a pitcher, I'm going to bend one in there all day and just force him to show. I mean, I'm going to let him beat me. I'd throw him curveballs all day and just, just you know, hey, dude, I know you can't hit this, so I'm just going to throw five of them and see if you can hit one. Um, and that's what concerns me. And he's been that guy for a long time. He gets two strikes. He strikes out looking more frequently than the average hitter, like significantly more frequently because he does have a good eye. But if that ump calls some of those, He's going to go down, but lately he's swung and missed again. Uh, but that's kind of who he's always been, and he's not really showing any signs that he's getting better about it. And that's that's concerning to me is that if he's not aggressive early and he doesn't beat the hell out of a mistake, pitchers have got the advantage on him. Yeah, and I think, too, just to follow up on that, and I think my draft is somewhere on the, on the website there, but maybe it goes down the next few days. The – inability for Kyle to hit those breaking pitches is magnified this year. So you just mentioned, yeah, he has all those issues with seeing curveballs and sliders, and he has an excessive whiff rate against those pitches. That's almost twice as worse this year for reasons I think are just kind of unknown. Um, So I'm with you. I think I am more concerned about Schwarber, but I will say I still think the changes 
that he has made so far going back to his more crouch stance and limiting some of that pre-pitch movement, I know the numbers don't suggest that I should be optimistic, but just qualitatively, I, I still think he's he's looking decent at the dish. I know he's whiffing a lot recently. I know more so in the last four to five games, especially he's looking terrible, but I still think, you know, if we look at the complete sample so far we have this year, those first five to six games, he was seeing the ball really well. So at the same time, I'm concerned about those last few games, but I'm still looking at everything. And ultimately, I just think like if this is Schwarber's comfort level in this type of batting stance, and he said that publicly, and we've seen some mild success, not just this year, but when he was first called up, I don't know. I, I'm concerned, yes, but I still feel as if he still has that potential to just get it together kind of like KB almost suddenly where it just kind of clicks and the next thing you know this offense is really from top to bottom just clicking in all gears I think that uh, about sums things up I you know echo those thoughts Uh, again like I've said a million times as long as KB's not hurt I fully expect him to get right he certainly doesn't look good um, and he looks overmatched against pitchers that he just definitely should not be overmatched against but as long as he's uh, healthy and, you know, we've heard repeatedly that that's the case, I, I think that he'll turn it around. And I agree with Evan, you know, sometimes it just takes that one good swing, good knock, and, you know, all of a sudden he can just get on a tear. So uh, I, I think obviously looking for those things in this Miami series uh, and also, you know, want to see a, a good outing from Darvish. Uh, but, you know, I'm also looking at, uh, you know, guys like Q and and seeing that, you know, he can come out there and and, and do that again and, and give us another start like that. And, and, you know, that we can just keep going on this this trend really of, of the starting rotation kind of forming into shape, developing those good uh, appearances on a regular basis. And, you know, it, it's it's always been one of those rotations where it doesn't necessarily matter what order in which they end up ranking out at the end of the year. It doesn't matter if Kyle Hendricks is the best pitcher, Jose Quintana is the best pitcher. They they have the guys where you, you just need some of them to, you know, really be kind of those top of the rotation arms. And I, I think the whole thing falls in line. So I think seeing Q and Hamels again in this Miami series, if we can keep going with what we saw from them the last time, I think that would be almost as encouraging as anything you could see, uh, especially against, you know, this Marlins team that is certainly not uh, having the highest expectations this year. But that will, uh, I think, do it for us for this one. Obviously, we will talk to you guys. Uh, we will record on Wednesday night. You'll hear from us on the off day on Thursday uh, after the Cubs finish up with the Marlins. As always, we want to thank Evan Altman for joining us. Uh, Evan, we always mention where we can find your work uh, in like the first 10 words of this podcast. But if you would tell people where they can find your work or your, your various handles, I know you've been doing some new YouTube stuff. Uh, I will I will give you the floor for that here. Absolutely. Thank you. Um, so CubsInsider.com, uh, that's that's where most of the writing uh, occurs. But then if you do uh, go to YouTube and check out Cubs Insider, we've really got a lot of stuff going on over there. I think we're, we're not not pivoting to video uh, as uh, as kind of the uh, some of the other sites would do, but really trying to put up a lot of original content. So I've got a little kind of video log or vlog uh, we've got Talking Cubs, which is another one out there with uh, Sean Sears, Ryan Davis. Uh, this podcast 
is uh, is I believe available it through YouTube yes, if you, if you would like to visualize uh, the the little wavy bar or whatever. <laughs> um, you know, if you if you prefer to take it in that way, and uh, and we've got a couple other Ivy Envy is another podcast that that is separate from Cubs Insider, but that we host some stuff, the San Ranto Show. So anyway, if you go to our YouTube channel, you'll find just a ton of content in addition to videos of Javi Baez fielding ground balls in spring training that eight hundred and forty five thousand people no, have seen. It's not funny. Yeah. It's wild. <laughs> it's wild. Like it's just it's literally just him fielding ground balls in practice. It's but. Uh, but again, a lot of cool stuff out there. So hopefully we can kind of boost that because I think there's there's fun stuff for you, regardless of kind of how you like to consume your Cubs. Uh, we have a little bit of everything there. And there you go. And uh, Evan is D Evan Altman on Twitter, and uh, Cubs Insider is at Real Cubs Insider. Twitter, Instagram, and like Evan said, if you just type in Cubs Insider, you will see our logo uh, that is on all of our handles and our website uh, and our YouTube channel. So you should be able to find that pretty easily. But like I said, Brendan and I will come back to you after the Cubs finish up with the Marlins on Wednesday evening. A split is all right in two games, uh, if that's what we have to deal with, but I I do hope that we are able to recap another winning series for you on Wednesday. As always, we thank you guys for listening and your participation, and uh, regardless of anything else, if you're watching Game of Thrones, I hope you enjoy, and go Cubs! There's great news during the pandemic. The new Hypermax Oxygen System is here. Doctor approved, clinically tested, at home oxygen for improved health, fitness, and especially your immunity. Go to hypermaxoxygen.com. See how 300% more oxygen purity works wonders in only 15 short minutes. You're home anyway, so why not build your immunity and much more? Hypermaxoxygen.com. That's hypermaxoxygen.com. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.